Good morning and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. And with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman. And here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we will talk about the rising death toll in Gaza as Israel launches intense airstrikes. The acquisition of Hess by Chevron in a $53 billion deal. NVIDIA's challenge to Intel's dominance in the PC market with its new CPUs. The seizure of the Russian-owned superyacht Amadea by American law enforcement and the unavoidable melting of West Antarctica's ice shelves due to human-caused global warming. Story number one. The death toll in Gaza has risen sharply as Israel launches intense airstrikes with at least 436 people killed in the past hours, bringing the total to over 5,000 since October 7th, according to the Hamas-run health ministry, as reported by the New York Times. Hamas has released two additional hostages, citing humanitarian and health reasons. The Biden administration has advised Israel to delay a ground invasion of Gaza to allow for negotiations and humanitarian aid. India has announced the delivery of medical and disaster relief for Gaza. Meanwhile, LinkedIn has warned a website for publishing posts related to the Israeli-Hamas conflict. In Iran, a teenager has been pronounced brain-dead after collapsing in a subway car, leading to accusations of harm by agents enforcing Iran's hijab rules. Chevron has agreed to acquire Hess in an all-stock deal valued at $53 billion, marking further consolidation in the energy industry. In other news, California Governor Gavin Newsom has flown to China to negotiate climate agreements. A train collision in Bangladesh has killed at least 17 people. And a study suggests it may be too late to halt the melting of the West Antarctic ice shelves, as stated by the New York Times. Could we just take a moment to look at the intensity of the situation in Gaza? It's really, really heart-wrenching. The numbers are staggering, with the death toll rising sharply. Now, I get it. Israel has the right to defend itself, especially after Hamas launched an attack that killed 1,400 people. But is this level of retaliation justified? I mean, over 5,000 deaths since October 7th. That quote S dot 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 IT quote S just hard to wrap my head around. I absolutely agree, Mark. The numbers are alarming. But I think it's important to remember that this isn't a black and white situation. Yes, the death toll is high and every single life lost is a tragedy. But we also need to look at the actions of Hamas. They're holding over 200 hostages, and although they've released a few for humanitarian reasons, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the total number. The situation is incredibly complex, and it's crucial that we approach it with a nuanced understanding. No doubt, Linda. The hostage situation is a major concern. But see... The thing that strikes me is how the U.S. is advising Israel to delay a ground invasion. Now that's a pretty significant step. It suggests that the U.S. is trying to buy more time for negotiations, to sort out the hostage crisis, and allow more humanitarian aid into Gaza. It's like the U.S. is trying to prevent an all-out war scenario. That's true, Mark. But remember, foreign intervention could also complicate things. We've seen this happen in the past. While it's important that the international community is involved, it's equally crucial that any intervention is done with the utmost sensitivity. This isn't just about politics, it's about people's lives and their future. Also worth noting is the role of social media platforms like LinkedIn, where people are being publicly shamed for their sentiments on the conflict. This just goes to show the global impact of this issue and how it's affecting discourse worldwide. Yeah, you're right, Linda. 
It's a delicate situation and needs to be handled with care. The key here is to find a solution that respects human rights and establishes sustainable peace. Easier said than done, I know, but that's the goal we should be working towards. Story number two. NVIDIA is reportedly designing CPUs that would run Microsoft's Windows operating system, challenging Intel's dominance in the personal computer market, as reported by Reuters. The move is part of Microsoft's effort to help chip companies develop ARM-based processors for Windows PCs, aiming to compete with Apple's ARM-based chips for Mac computers. Advanced Micro Devices AMD also plans to make chips for PCs with ARM technology. NVIDIA, AMD, and Qualcomm could potentially sell PC chips with ARM technology as early as 2025. Microsoft has been encouraging chipmakers to incorporate advanced AI features into the CPUs to enhance software performance. The transition from x86 computing architecture to ARM-based designs may pose challenges for software developers. I gotta say, this news about NVIDIA and AMD stepping into Intel's territory is pretty exciting. It's like a new frontier in the chip industry, don't you think? It certainly is an interesting development. The shift towards ARM-based designs signifies a major transformation in the computer architecture landscape. This is largely driven by the need for improved efficiency and the integration of artificial intelligence capabilities. Right, right. But isn't this a big gamble? I mean, developers have spent decades and billions of dollars writing code for Windows that runs on x86 architecture. Switching to ARM-based designs doesn't seem like a walk in the park, does it? That's a very astute point, Mark. Indeed, the transition could pose challenges as code built for x86 chips won't automatically run on ARM-based designs. However, this move could also be seen as a necessary evolution in the face of market demands and technological advancement. Well, when you put it like that, it does sound less like a gamble and more like a calculated risk. But, uh, what about Microsoft's role in all this? Are they just sitting on the sidelines cheering? Oh, far from it, Mark. Microsoft seems to be playing a key role in steering the chip industry towards AI-integrated CPUs. They're encouraging chipmakers to build advanced AI features into the CPUs they're designing. They envision AI-enhanced software becoming an increasingly important part of using Windows. So, we're not just talking about a shift in hardware, but a whole new approach to software as well. That's... that's pretty huge. But it brings to mind another question. How is this going to affect Intel? They've been the big dogs in the PC industry for so long. Are they just going to roll over and let NVIDIA and AMD take over? Well, Intel certainly has a battle on their hands, but they're not sitting idle. They've been packing AI features into their chips and recently showed a laptop running features similar to ChatGPT directly on the device. This competition could lead to some fascinating progress in the industry. Competition does tend to bring out the best in us, doesn't it? Well, I for one am excited to see where this goes. Thanks for the insights, Linda. You're welcome, Mark. It's always a pleasure discussing these developments with you. Story number three. The Russian-owned superyacht Amadea has been seized by American law enforcement in Fiji and is now docked in Honolulu, as reported by The Guardian. The U.S. is seeking forfeiture of the $300 million yacht, which is allegedly controlled by Russian billionaire Suleiman Karimov. In other news related to the Russia-Ukraine war, Sweden has stated that damage to a telecommunications cable between Sweden and Estonia was caused by external force or tampering. Three residents of Kherson Oblast in Ukraine have been arrested for allegedly assisting Russian forces in targeting locations for strikes. 
Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, has criticized Russia's actions and stated that Russian war criminals have bombed Ukrainian civilian structures. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, has submitted a bill for Sweden's NATO membership to parliament for ratification. Trade between Russia and India has reached a record high of almost $44 billion in the first eight months of 2023, according to The Guardian. Tell you, Linda, the seizure of that Russian superyacht, the Amadea, by American law enforcement is a classic example of economic warfare. I mean, it's not just about bullets and bombs anymore. It's about hitting where it really hurts, the wallet. I see your point, Mark. And it goes beyond just economic warfare. The alleged damage caused by external force or tampering to the telecommunications cable between Sweden and Estonia shows that cyber warfare is another front in this conflict. It's a worrying trend, as it can disrupt critical communications and even potentially manipulate information flow. And it's just crazy to think about the amount of money Russia has reportedly spent on this conflict. Nearly $167 billion. That's a staggering amount which could have been invested back home, into building schools, hospitals, or kindergartens. It's heartbreaking to think about the opportunity cost of war. Such resources could have significantly improved the quality of life for many. And it's not just human lives that are affected. The story of ISA, the lioness that was abandoned due to the invasion and could possibly be rehomed in the UK, is a stark reminder of the indirect casualties of war. Yeah, Linda, you're right. But on a different note, these conflicts also trigger global economic shifts. Look at the trade between Russia and India. It's more than doubled in just eight months. It's like, as one door closes, another one opens. That's a good observation, Mark. And speaking of shifts, Sweden's bid for NATO membership is a significant geopolitical move. It's a reaction to the ongoing conflict and a clear indication of the realignment of alliances. Yeah, Linda. It's a new world we're looking at. Warfare isn't just about the battlefield anymore. It's got many faces now. Economic, cyber, and even environmental. It's a whole different ballgame. These conflicts have far-reaching consequences that extend beyond the immediate and physical, and it's crucial that we recognize and address these aspects, too. Story number four. New research, as reported by CNN, has found that the rapid melting of West Antarctica's ice shelves is now unavoidable due to human-caused global warming. Even if ambitious climate targets are met, substantial ocean warming and ice shelf melting will still occur. Ice shelves act as a defense against sea level rise, so their loss has devastating implications. The study analyzed different climate change scenarios and found that limiting temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius could still cause the ocean to warm at three times the historical rate. Cutting planet heating pollution now will have limited power to prevent the collapse of the West Antarctic ice sheet. West Antarctica is already the largest contributor to global sea level rise, and its collapse could raise sea levels by several feet impacting coastal communities and low-lying island nations. The study's findings, as stated by CNN, are sobering and highlight the committed nature of sea level rise in the next century. Slashing fossil fuel emissions remains crucial to mitigate the impacts of climate change. It's pretty alarming, Linda, to see the new research on the accelerated melting of West Antarctica's ice shelves. Seems like we've crossed a certain threshold, and no matter how hard we fight against global warming now, some impacts are just unavoidable. Is that the right takeaway from this study? Yes, Mark. That's a fair summation. 
The study essentially suggests that even if we limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, which is an ambitious target, West Antarctica will still experience substantial ocean warming and ice shelf melting. And this basal melting they talk about. That's when warm ocean currents melt the ice from beneath, right? So it's not just about air temperatures, but also ocean temperatures? Exactly. The impact of warmer oceans on these ice shelves can't be underestimated. They act like buttresses holding back the ice on land. When they thin and melt, they lose that ability, accelerating sea level rise. So, it's not just about slowing down the clock, but also about dealing with the inevitable consequences. Like these coastal cities and low-lying island nations that could be affected by sea level rise. What's the best way forward there? That's a complex question, Mark. While mitigation efforts are crucial, adaptation strategies will also be extremely important. This could involve urban planning to accommodate sea level rise, investing in infrastructure to protect coastal areas, and potentially even relocating populations in the most vulnerable areas. Wow, that's a lot to take in. It's a stark reminder of why we need to act now and act decisively to combat climate change. It's not just about the environment, it's about the future of our communities and, well, our civilization. The consequences of inaction are simply too great. We must continue to take steps to reduce emissions while preparing for the changes that are already set in motion. Story number five. China is imposing restrictions on the export of graphite, a critical mineral used in electric vehicle EV batteries, as reported by Reuters. This move is seen as a response to the West's targeting of China's high technology sector. Graphite is a key component of EV batteries and China is the dominant player in its global supply. The West's dependency on Chinese supply has raised concerns, leading countries like the US and Australia to invest in non-Chinese sources. However, these alternative sources will not be operational by the time China's export restrictions take effect in December. The extent of China's squeeze on the graphite export pipeline remains uncertain, but it is expected to impact the global graphite supply chain. Western governments are evaluating their response, including the possibility of challenging the export curbs at the World Trade Organization. The risk of further countermeasures in the metals sector between China and the West remains high. It's fascinating, Linda how China's decision to curb graphite exports is potentially a strategic move in the broader tech and trade battle with the West. This heavy punch, as they call it, targeted at the high-tech sector, is something we cannot ignore, especially given the pivotal role graphite plays in the electric vehicle batteries. And it's not just graphite. We've seen this before with the restrictions on gallium and germanium exports. It's a clear message, a reaction to the U.S. Chips Act and the restrictions on the flow of advanced AI chips to China. There's a pattern here that highlights the geopolitical power play around control of critical resources. Absolutely, it's all about control. Graphite might have slipped under the radar in the broader raw materials debate, but it's a key component in the EV batteries. And with China dominating the global supply of both natural and synthetic graphite, the West's dependency on Chinese supply is a real concern. And that's where we see the urgency in building alternative supply chains. The U.S. Department of Defense awarded $37 million to Graphite One for a feasibility study on its Graphite Creek project in Alaska. Australia, too, is investing in its own graphite projects. But the problem is, none of these alternative sources will be operational by December when China's export restrictions kick in. Yeah, it's a race against time. 
And let's not forget the potential for further escalation. If gallium and germanium were just the start, then it's unlikely graphite is the last card China will play. So, we're looking at a potential short-term shock in the world's graphite supply chain. Certainly. And that brings us to potential countermeasures. Back in 2010, when China cut off exports of rare earths, the U.S., the European Union, and Japan challenged the export curbs at the WTO. They won in 2014, forcing China to back down. That could be one route to consider. Right. But it's also worth noting the change in administration stance. While the Obama administration launched and won several complaints against China at the WTO, the Trump and Biden administrations have been far less enthusiastic about the WTO. It seems the U.S. may opt to build out a domestic critical mineral supply chain and work with allied countries to source what it cannot produce itself. Yes, and that approach aligns with the broader trend of reshoring and reducing dependency on a single country or region for critical resources. But at the same time, it's important to weigh the potential impact on the progress of emerging technologies and green industries worldwide. These tensions and disruptions could potentially slow down our global transition to a more sustainable and inclusive digital economy. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.